1 through 12. This morning in our text, we will focus on the very thing that should be focused upon, focus on the the focus and fruit of disciple of disciplined service. The title of our message, we're going to look at several things from this text. Acts 20, verse 1, after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those, through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus from Berea, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychius and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sang into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. Father, we ask for your blessing upon reading this word. May it teach our minds and our hearts. Help us to understand what is here. Help us to apply it to our lives. May it convict us, instruct us, and equip us to do you glory. In Christ's name, amen. This chapter seems to be beginning, begin to open up with uh, a look into Paul's Gmail account, his Google pages. We get to see his calendar. We get to see his travel plans. We get to see his contacts. Luke appears to be very specific about the names and places. And there's a bit of a reason. It's divinely inspired, but it also helps us understand that there is some historicity to this text, to all of Scripture. Many of the authors of the books of the Bible place specific things in their specific names because that was important. 
It's a little more tricky for us, a little more difficult for us to look back that far and know that these people lived. But think of the first audience, the first readers of these words. They probably knew, or certainly they knew of these cities and these places where these people were going, and they probably knew some of these men there as well. So it was encouraging to them, and it is, continues to be encouraging to us. This morning we will look at the focus and fruit of disciplined service, and there are three things, and I've placed these because that's the way they come in the text, but they're not in any prioritized order. Focus on the word, reaping the fruit of disciplined service, and focus on the Lord's day. Focus on the word, reaping the fruit of discipline service, and focus on the Lord's day. And as we move through the text again, this time a little more slowly, we're going to look at where all of this applies and where it all may help us. Again, Luke 20, beginning at verse 1, after the uproar ceased, you remember in Acts chapter 19 was the account of the Ephesus event where Paul's ministry in Ephesus for nearly three years had converted so many people in the city, they stopped buying the idols. And one of the idol makers, one of the idol merchants, caused a riot. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. This riot that happened was one response to the effectiveness of the power of the Word and the Spirit. We always think that the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be seen in the effectiveness of conversion, people coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. But we need to realize that the effectiveness of the Word and the Spirit is also going to show us Evidence of the evil in men's heart is going to reveal resistance. And that's what had happened in Ephesus. And Paul had already been planning on leaving Ephesus. He wanted to get back to Jerusalem before the next celebration of Pentecost. So he wasn't leaving because he was afraid. You cannot dare charge Paul with any cowardice at all. He was fearless. When he had gone through those regions and had given him his disciples much encouragement, here was the work, the ministry of focusing on the word. The word for encouragement here is literally comes from Paracletus, a description of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And Paul was coming alongside them and encouraging them again of what he had taught them, what he had preached to them, what he had instructed to them again, and reminding them to keep on being faithful to the Word. Paul's ministry focused on preaching the Word everywhere he went. Throughout the record of Acts, the focus has always been a focus on the Word of God. Beginning in Acts chapter 1, at verse 14, 
after the Lord had ascended into heaven, into glory, the final time, the people were in Jerusalem. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They were awaiting the celebration of Pentecost. And when Pentecost came, you'll recall, the Holy Spirit provoked a powerful ministry of the word of God, preaching in every known language. There were not unknown tongues. People were amazed that they could understand everything that was said. Thousands came to know the Lord as their Savior. Thousands were converted. An event, an event, an event after that throughout the, ex- throughout the rest of the book of Acts shows us there is focus on the preaching of the word of God. Acts 5.28, Peter had been strictly warned, the priest of Israel, we strictly charged you not to teach in the name, in this name, yet here you are filled, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. In Acts chapter 6, people were complaining within the church. The new believers had come together, even Greeks and Jews, or Gentiles and Jews, and they were complaining about how ministry to the widows and the orphans was being neglected. And they were coming to the apostles and to the evangelists and those who were preaching and teaching the word. And they told him, Peter said, to these people, it's not right that we should be, we should spend time waiting tables. That's not a derogatory term, but that's the term he used. He said, appoint good men, righteous men, to take care of this matter that we may devote ourselves to prayer and the word. Throughout the book of Acts, there is always a focus on the truth of Scripture. Peter was not liked because of the way he preached. He was faithful in the word. And that is exactly why Paul was not often well liked. He had a powerful ministry. There were conversions. There were churches planted. But there was also resistance to his message. Paul didn't preach man's reason. He didn't affirm man's goodness because there is no goodness in man. We are sinners. Without Christ, we would be doomed. Without him, we are lost. And Paul wanted to preach the truth in order they might find Christ Jesus. They might find his grace and his mercy and live eternally. Paul preached about man's sin, calling all to repentance in order to escape the wrath of God. And people didn't like that. They still don't like it. People would rather hear a preacher who affirmed everyone, no matter how they lived or what they did or what they thought. People today, even today, prefer to hear a message that comforts them. They don't want a message that convicts them. They don't want a message that points out 
where they need to repent. They want to be reassured that everything is okay. They can live any way they want to. Whether it's right or wrong. It's gotten so bad today that people prefer to remain in sin. Presuming, presuming. You might remember one of the Psalms. Psalmist in his prayer to God, forgive me of presumptuous sins. There are a lot of people in in so-called Christianity today who are presuming upon God. They are presuming God's grace remains on them no matter how unfaithfully they live. And they have a tendency to ridicule those who are faithful. And they have a tendency to ridicule those who still believe all of the Bible. A little over 400 years ago, there was a Dutch man, a Bible scholar named Gebert Votes. This problem we're dealing with is nothing new. 400 years ago, this is what he wrote. The labels of being a precisionist, a self-righteous zealot, a pig-headed person have always been applied to Christians whenever they have refused to be lukewarm and compromising. We must not pay much attention when our devotion is decried as superstition, our soberness as hypocrisy, our tenderness of conscience as strictness, or our purity as obstinance. They just want to make us all seem ludicrous. That's exactly what's happening today. We who long to be faithful to the Lord and faithful to his word are seen as being superstitious. We're also being accused of being hypocrites. We're too strict. Sticks in the mud, as it were. We're just too crazy, too unreasonable. But we long to be faithful to the Lord Jesus and to his word. Chris Kintala, excuse me, Chris Sintala, once wrote a very brief statement that says a lot. The message of the gospel is Christ and him crucified. He's quoting Paul there. It is not me and me approved. Me and me approved or me and me approved. He hits the nail on the head. The message of the gospel is Christ and him crucified. If you want salvation, if you want eternal life, you must repent of your sins and receive him as your savior. Beyond that, he's not going to approve you, nor is he going to improve you. But there are too many preachers in pulpits this morning who are giving that kind of message. We need to focus on the word. And you might ask, well, shouldn't the power of faithful preaching bring more encouraging results? As I mentioned before, when faithful preaching converts the souls of the lost, it is always encouraging. We love to see that. However, faithful preaching also does something else. Faithful preaching warns 
of the wrath of God. I can go throughout Scripture and show you where God's anger is upon the guilty, upon the sinful, and yet he is also reaching out with a hand of grace and mercy. I believe it is at least five times in Isaiah. Isaiah 5.25 Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them and the mountains quaked and their corpses were as refuse in the midst of the streets. For all of his anger has not turned away and his hand is outstretched, is stretched out still. Listen carefully to those words. We understand Israel's history and how they became apostate. They fell away from God. They stopped being faithful to him. So God raised up someone to chastise them, other nations to come in and overwhelm them. And it was devastating to the nation. But here's the first place in Isaiah. For all his anger has not turned away because they had not yet repented. In this next phrase, and his hand is outstretched out, his hand is stretched out still. He's not reaching out to continue beating them. He's reaching out to, the, to offer them mercy. Again, Isaiah 9:12, for all his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Isaiah 9:17, for all his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Again, 9.21 of Isaiah. For all this, his anger has not turned away and his hand is, out, is stretched out still. That's why the Apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Those who refuse his word and his message are going, to, are going to see his wrath. But those who repent and reach out for his mercy shall be saved. That's what salvation is all about. That's why we must be faithful to focus upon the word of God. How does the world respond to the grace and patience of God? Thumb their nose at it. In Romans 2, verse 5, In accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. The Apostle Paul faithfully warns, Do not repent. You are just treasuring up. You are heaping up. God's wrath upon your whole soul. That's why Paul focused on the word. He saw the detriment. He saw the pain. He saw the eternal damnation that was coming for all of them. He loved people enough to tell them the truth. Repent and see, receive God's grace. Repent and rest in his mercy. 
And because Paul was faithful, focusing on the word in his ministry, he also reaped the fruit of disciplined service. We see in verse 4, these listener names. Looking again at his Google account and all of his contacts, or some of his contacts, Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus from Berea, accompanied him. And, on, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychius and Trophimus. Sopater of Berea, the son of Berea, was mentioned already in Romans 16, or mentioned again in Romans 16. The Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus were mentioned in Acts 19. Gaius of Derby and Timothy and the Asians, Tychius, was mentioned in Ephesians 6, 21 and 22. Originally, these were Paul's converts during his missionary work throughout the region. These were some of the men who came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, received his message. Then they became disciples, learning, learning how to live for the Lord and being faithful to him. And then they became his traveling companions. And by now, they are agents of mission work. Paul preached the gospel to them. They received Christ as their Lord and Savior. They began to follow the Lord's word and learned how to apply it to their lives. And now they were ready, they were ready to go work as missionaries themselves, spreading the word as they had been taught. Paul always had a long-range vision, a long-range plan for the church. He knew his time was limited. And he wondered who would carry on once he was gone. We've not read it yet, but in Acts 20, verse 23, it is recorded that Paul said, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Paul knew his time was limited. And he wanted the church to continue without him. He wanted the church strong enough to be able to continue on without him. What about our legacy at Countryside? What about our church? What about the next generation? The Lord has blessed us with a few small families, and that is wonderful. But we need to be faithful. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we need to be faithful because we are supposed to be here into the next generation, in the next generation, and in the next generation. If we focus on the word, we will reap the fruit of disciplined service, and that fruit being new converts, not just in the community around us now, but in our own children. Then to focus on the Lord's day. On the first, verse 7 of our text, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. This is one of the earliest records of meeting to worship on Sunday. 
And there is two references in this text about breaking bread. And some of this, I don't know how important it is. But it's described as an upper room. The upper rooms were, were much cooler because the breeze could come through a third floor window very easily. A third floor window very easily. But the room was filled with people, and there were candles everywhere. And this was on the first day of the week, and during this time, there were probably not five-day work weeks. People, people would very often work every day. A five-day work week is kind of a new thing for history, throughout history. It's been over about 150 years ago when people would work at least 12 hours a day, six days a week, and only get Sunday off. And that included children as well. 40-hour work week is a 20th century invention. But back then, people would... If they were of Jewish heritage, they were just learning to set aside... Sunday instead of the Sabbath day, Saturday, for the Lord's day. But those who were Gentiles very often probably had to do some work on Sunday because there was no weekend. So their service probably began, began afternoon or early evening. And they would probably as well have communion, the Lord's table, during that time. So perhaps this first mention of breaking bread had something to do with that. On the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. <clears throat> Paul preached a very long time, focusing on the word. Can I hear an amen? I heard a chuckle. Can I hear an amen? The ESV, the word says, talked with them. We could understand it as preaching. Other, other translations translate it as preach. But the word more often used in the Greek for preaching comes from keruso, which really means to herald the message, to shout it out or to proclaim it. There is another word that sometimes is translated to preach. It comes from the same word we use to evangelize, which means to bring good news. This word, as Paul talked to them, is specifically a word we get the word dialogue from. Since the room was probably filled, many people in that room, very close quarters, very informal kind of thing. He was probably talking with them. Probably allowing for question and answers during his talk. And it went on for hours. Acts twenty twenty seven. the Apostle Paul also says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. This is the last time he is going to be with these people at Troas and he wanted to make sure they got everything he could give them. 
Scripture says there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered. So you had a crowded room. It's warm. It's dim light. And you've got a long-winded preacher. How comfortable was it? What kept them there? Why didn't they just get up and leave? I believe they had a hunger for the word of God. And they had a respect for his word. I remember years ago in my own family, I had a big family to get together around one particular holiday and it was getting late. And my father-in-law I, I, I just, I miss him. But my father-in-law said, all right, I'm going to go on to bed. Y'all can, uh, y'all can stay all you want to. Lock up when you leave. And one of his favorite sayings, don't forget to wind up the cat and throw out the clock. I thought of that when I was thinking of these people in the room. Why didn't some of them get up to leave? What kept them there? Spiritual hunger. Is the word of God a treasure to you? Do you ever get enough of it? Do you hunger to know more of it? If you don't, that's taking your temperature. Your soul, your spirit is probably... A little cold. I'm not saying dead. But if you don't hunger for the word of God. If you don't desire to know its truth and its light. That in and of itself is a measuring rod of where you are spiritually. And my friend. You need to repent. Churches over a century ago, imagine churches over a century ago. I remember as a youngster going to church with my parents, they didn't have air conditioning. I, some of you are old enough to remember. You'd go to church and they would have these fans. They had a picture of the church or a picture of Jesus taken by Olin Mills and they would have these, on these paddle fans and you would just sit there and fan yourself. That was as good as it got. And over a hundred years ago, no one had air conditioning in their homes. They would work six days a week on their home, on their farms. And Saturday night, Saturday night was the only night, was bath night. Because they knew they were going to church the next morning. They would get their Sunday best, their best clean, newest clothes ready that night. And everybody in the family would take a bath in the same tub, one at a time, but using the same water because they had to haul it from the well, and that's a lot of work in and of itself. Then Sunday morning, they would rise early, do a few chores around the house, and then they had to hitch the horse to the wagon and ride the wagon over the countryside to church. You wonder why church is at 11, traditionally, giving enough time for the farmers to get their chores and get to church on time.
And I've read accounts where sometimes people, the church was so full that people would stand outside with the windows open in order that they could hear the preacher. Life was entirely different back then, but they loved the Lord and they loved his word. What about today? Would anyone be willing to endure discomfort in order to hear the word preached and give glory to the risen Lord? We are offered the word of God sitting on soft cushioned pews in an air-conditioned room. We come to church in comfortable automobiles with radios and stereos and music or whatever else we want to listen to. We go through very little hardship. We suffer very little. How is our desire for the Lord? It is easier than it has ever been. We are more comfortable than anyone has ever been. Why are we not more on fire for him? Focus on the word. Focus on the Lord's day. A young man named Eutychus sitting on the window, sang into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he covered, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little not a little comforted. I mean, they were very encouraged. Now this word, Paul introduces Eutychus as a young man. The word in the Greek is neonius, but he also refers to him a second time as a youth, a pais, a boy. He might have been a teenager, not much older. Many preachers get a lot of mileage out of this text. Never complain about the length of the sermon. Paul preached until midnight till somebody fell asleep, and then after he raised him from the dead, he came back and preached until morning. If I go five minutes over, a lot of preachers get a lot of mileage out of this text. I don't think that's what it's meant to teach. Don't fall asleep during a church or you could die. No, that's not what it's trying to teach us. That's not why Luke includes this record of the book of Acts. Paul went down, laid his body like Elijah, laid his body over this young boy, brought life back into him. In verse 10, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak and so departed. So Eutychus falls, he dies, he brought back to life, and Paul says, let's go back up and finish the sermon. 
Is the most important, is it most important that Paul or the Lord through Paul brought a dead boy back to life? Is it? Is that the most, is that what we're, we get excited when we read about miracles in the Bible. Oh, that would have been so amazing to see. Is that the most important thing? I would disagree. It is not. The highlight, the priority of this text in Acts 20 is for all of those people, the highlight was learning about the Lord Jesus. All night long. Learning about him. That's the amazing part. That's the amazing part. Why are we not like that? Attending to the faithful preaching of the word of God is more important than your mortal life. Attending to the faithful preaching of the word of God is more important than your mortal life. Preaching or teaching the whole counsel of God and receiving the counsel, that counsel by faith, nourishes the eternal soul within you and prepares your heart and equips your mind to serve the Lord with your life in order that you might glorify him. That is why it is more important. The Apostle Paul endured and suffered as he preached the word. I don't think those people suffered much. I don't think they considered it much suffering at all. They were being fed. Their hearts and their souls were being nourished. Their minds were being equipped in order that they might live this new life that Christ gave them. Their sins had been forgiven. How could they show their gratitude but to know him? The Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.20 wrote, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Most of you know the next words. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was willing to suffer. Persecution and resistance, threat of life. But we must be comfortable when we hear the word of God. We as believers need to focus on the word. If we focus on the word, we will reap the fruit of discipline service. And if we focus upon the Lord today, giving him glory, we will also be blessed. And our lives will be changed for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, its truth, and its power. May it overwhelm us. You have been good to us, and your truth is so amazing. Help us, Lord, realize what you have done.
Help us remember the debt that's been forgiven. Help us to live gratefully, to serve you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. As we continue to worship the Lord this morning,